0: Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. If you've ever wondered if there's such a thing as God's predestination, it's True, God knows how to predestinate things and foreknow things. You have taken by lawless deeds, and you have crucified and put him to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Mm. One more time, God help, in Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Is evangelicalism dead? Is evangelicalism dead? I've been reading a great number of articles online and in magazines that has virtually announced the funeral of evangelicalism. Evangelicalism as uh, an institution, as a construct of political America, of, of the world that we live in, evangelicalism has become something of a curse word. In fact, if you'd like in the public square to be looked down upon, let me give you a good way to do it. Tell someone that you're an evangelical, and they will immediately begin to mock you, scorn you, judge you, and put you in a box. Of course, terms matter, and when people ask, you know, what are you, I'll just let you know. I don't know that I ever used the phrase evangelical when I'm talking to anybody. If by evangelical you mean somebody that is a hyper-politicized Christian, then I would tell you I am not an evangelical. If by evangelical you mean someone that's not judgmental, I could tell you I don't want to be an evangelical. If by evangelical you mean someone that's condescending, I don't want to be an evangelical. If by evangelical you mean somebody that is predictable and they fit in a box, I don't want to be that either. Now the problem with the word evangelical is that the word evangelical has a root word, which is the word evangel. Evangelical comes from the word evangel. Now the word evangel comes from the Greek word, which almost looks like evangelion, but it's like you, like as in a eulogy, you meaning good, and this idea of, a, of, a, of an uh, agello, which is to to bear a message. This is where we get the phrase good news. The gospel is the evangel because the gospel is good news. When most people use the term evangelical, in, at least in parlance right now, when people use the phrase and, and culture right now, I rarely hear it in terms of, oh, that sounds awesome. It doesn't sound anything like, you just got a winning lottery ticket, great news. It doesn't sound anything like, you just got into the grad school, great news. It doesn't sound anything like, you just got drafted in the first round, great news. Evangelical doesn't quite fit one of those molds. And there's a problem because this, this idea of the evangel or the good news when Jesus used it and when the apostles used the word evangel or they used the, the idea of an evangelical or when they used the idea of the, of the gospel, it was not actually a religious word at all. In fact, if you hear the word evangel right now or evangelical, it sounds religious. Originally, this was not a religious word whatsoever. This, in fact, it was, a, it was a popular culture word that Jesus and the apostles borrowed from common usage to insert it into the kingdom language, for example, let me read you a little something from 9 B.C. This is before Jesus was even born. It said this: "Since Providence has set, and we have found this, and this is like written on tablets, or right? since Providence has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind, sending him as a savior." Everyone say savior both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, surpassing all previous benefactors, and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done, and since the birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the good news, or the gospel, or in Greek, the evangel, the this, this good news for the world that came by reason of him. What I'm trying to let you know is, this word gospel, was. it's not a religious word, it's a human word that means when something is very good news, bringing very good fortune to the people that are under its sway. Now, I'm totally fine forsaking the name evangelical. I personally have no problem saying I'm not an evangelical. I do this all the time anyway. When I, when I was in the Middle East, And you would go up to someone and they would say, hey, take me to the Christian area, the Christian quarter or the Christian area was where the drunkards were, where the people went to go get prostitutes because in their minds, a Christian is someone that rents prostitutes, drinks alcohol, smokes drugs, gets drunk and high. If by Christian, you mean somebody that gets drunk, gets high, and goes and takes advantage of vulnerable women, then I would be happy to say, I am not a Christian, if that's what that phrase means. What I'm letting you know is that today I want to talk about the gospel, and by the evangel or the gospel, I do not mean the political, predictable, condescending, judgmental thing that is devoid of power. I mean by this what Romans 1 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for in it there is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. I want our word to burn in our souls. And when someone says, Are you an evangelical? You'd say, "Mm, I'm definitely an evangelist person. I'm not sure what you mean by it, but what I mean by this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the best news you could have ever heard in all of your life. Church, if there's anything that we must be experts at, it must be the gospel. The gospel. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus came and said, the time is fulfilled, the the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The very first words we have from Jesus on earth other than when he was 13 years old talking to his mom is when Jesus talks about the gospel. In Mark chapter 8, verse 35, he, he tells us that if, if we want to be with him, that there's got to be a willingness. It says, whoever would save his life would lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel's sake is going to find it. This, this gospel, this idea of, of the gospel, we cannot forsake this. Why can we not forsake it? Because we're in a series that's called The Great Awakening, and I just need you to understand that there is not a lot of common denominators among the revivals and awakenings that have happened across the earth. In fact, if you look at a map of the earth where revivals have broken out, you'll see revivals in Korea, you'll see revivals in all over Africa, you've seen revivals in America and South America and Asia, many different revivals that have taken place. In Korea, the revivals were led by Presbyterians. In Africa, the revivals are led by Anglicans. In South America, the revivals are led by Charismatics. Some of the revivals have had some differences of secondary and tertiary doctrines. The common denominator of every single move of God in all of church history has been these two things. Number one, they took a sky-high view of this book and said, this is the Word of God. And number two, every single move of God, they didn't all have... Massive signs and wonders. They didn't all have people falling down. They didn't all have tons of healings. Every single move of God in all of church history has been centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I believe we need a a new awakening now. I believe our culture is ripe for this. It's been a season, and we live in a culture that is loaded with bad news. And the answer for bad news is guess what? Good news. Look at someone next to you and say, it's time for some good news. So, what is the gospel? That, that's really where today's message is going to go. What is the gospel? Before we get into the what of the gospel, I want to talk about the who of the gospel. Over in Acts chapter 2, verse, where is this? Over in Acts chapter 2, verse 5, it says, There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation Under heaven. Devout. Now Peter's going to get up and preach the gospel here. And he's preaching. we're going to kind of pick apart Peter's gospel presentation. But as Peter preaches the gospel, I want you to notice he preaches it to people who are devout. That means they are devoted. That means they are religious. That means they are, by human standards, good. That means they are admirable. That means they are sincere. I need you to understand right now that the gospel is is for devout people And the gospel is for not devout people And the gospel is for good people And the gospel is for bad people And the gospel is for very dedicated people And the gospel is for very undedicated people The gospel, in this case, was going to people that had made the trek and sacrifice to go to Israel for the Feast of Pentecost But the gospel is for those that make sacrifices and it is for those that The gospel is for everybody I often, the reason I love the fact that Peter is preaching, and he's going to, in fact, we're going to find he's going to close out in verse 38. He's going to say, repent and be baptized. He's speaking to devout people and saying, you need to repent and be baptized. The reason I'm letting you know that there's some of you that are listening to me now that you are so good, and you're a great dad, or you're a great mom, or you're a great friend, or you're a great student, or you're a great person, or you're very moral, and you still are in need of repentance." See, the gospel means that there's not really good people and bad people in in God's eyes. There's either repentant people or unrepentant people. I have met very good Buddhists that I'm like, man, you are a Buddhist and you do not believe in Jesus, and you are so much nicer than most Christians I know. Has that ever happened to you? You meet someone, they're like an atheist. You're like, you're the best dad I've ever seen. But this is where the gospel is very important to understand because if you think people are right with God because they seem to be moral by human standards, you do not understand that the standard that's needed is not a standard constructed by humans, but a standard that is only seen and constructed by God himself. Guys, this matters so much because I keep on meeting people who are like, oh, how could a loving God send that person to hell or to punishment or to whatever, to which if you've ever thought that or said that, it reveals seeds of misunderstanding in your mind over the nature of the gospel. People are not right with God because they are good. They are right with God because they've been raised from the dead. That's how people make it. Which is good news. This is why the Bible says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the people who know they're as broke as a joke spiritually. If you happen to think that you're middle class or upper class spiritually, what does that look like? I'm good. That's middle class. Oh, I'm great. That's upper class. Oh, no, I'm, I'm a good person. That's, the middle class will inherit hell. The only people that make it into God's kingdom are those That know that they are in need, in need of a redeemer who loves you more than the devil hates you. Of a savior who loves you more than your sin has warped you. To a king who has sacrificed more than any of your sins have marred you. Who is the gospel for? The gospel is, is for whoever knows they need him. Now, friends, this is so important because, like, a couple years ago, I had, to, I had a hernia. I had to get a hernia operation. And I remember when I, was, I was, thought I might have a hernia, and I talked to someone, I'm like, oh, I think I might have a hernia. And they said, oh, no, no, man, don't sweat it. I'm sure everything is fine. Well, by the time I went to the doctor, I'm very glad I didn't go with this very nice friend who said, I'm sure it's all good. Because I would have been in serious trouble. And friends, when you read God's word and you see God's standard and you read what God has said is true and when there comes to be times in human history like in our culture right now where there are parts of this Word of God, this revelation of God that disagree with American culture. And when someone's like, no, 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 I can't believe in a God who would say that is wrong. Or I can't believe in a God that that would forbid that. No, 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 God would never do something. I can't believe in a God like that. What I'm telling you is you may think you're being very nice by telling your friend who's living a life that is apart from God by saying, man, I mean, I, 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 you're, I'm sure you're good, friend. By you telling someone, when someone's got a tumor, you are not doing something nice to pop an aspirin in their mouth. When someone's got a tumor, the only loving thing to do is to send them to the surgeon that knows what to do with tumors. The gospel, is, it's, it's, it's wonderful news if you're broke. And it's terrible news if you're rich, and I'm talking spiritually speaking. Like when you think you've got it all together, the gospel's terrible news because the message of the gospel is there is only one Homo sapien that has ever had it all together, and his name was guess Jesus. But you could say, yeah, but I'm a little better than someone else. <laughs> Great. Maybe you could, if if the standard was you've got to throw a football. From Gainesville to Los Angeles, perhaps you can throw the football further than me. I'm betting both of us miss the mark. The who of the gospel is, it's everybody that is willing to recognize, I need help. If you're listening to me today and you know that you need help, I got the best news in the world. I know a helper whose name is Jesus. If you know today that you need a way out, I got great news for you. I know a deliverer whose name is Jesus. But church, enough of this nonsense of acting like some people in their own righteousness, they are good enough because there is none righteous, not even one. That's the who of the gospel. What's the what of the gospel? I was reading this week, just sort of, I, I went off the beaten path, I was reading in Galatians chapter 1, and in Galatians chapter 1, Paul, he, he says, I marvel that you are, he was speaking to the Galatian church, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of God to a different gospel. Now, when I read that, I was like, whoa, uh-oh, there is a counterfeit Gospel, and I meant to bring with me, like I I have a counterfeit dollar bill. I meant to bring this thing. There's a different gospel, he says, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you, and they want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel than the one that we preached, let him be accursed. See, the what of the gospel, there is a real gospel, and then there is, A counterfeit gospel. Let me break down the real gospel in four words. I'm going to give it to you from right here in the book of Acts chapter 2 from Peter's very sermon. Acts chapter 2. We just read this where it says verse 22. Hear these words. Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. The first word you need to know is Jesus. The second word I want you to see is that it says here in verse 23, the next verse, it says, you guys took him, you have crucified him, put him to death, okay? Second word is died. Jesus is the first word. Died is the second word. Everyone say died. Next verse, verse 24, whom God raised up. The third word is raised. Everyone say raised. And then we find at the very end of this entire passage, when, when it kind of gets to the end of this thing, it's, it's beautiful how it just says that God has exalted him and God has done all these things. But in verse 36, it says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. The fourth word is Lord. So everyone say Lord? Jesus died, was raised, and he is Lord. This is how someone gets changed. I don't wanna, I'm not trying to minimize this, and obviously you could make this much more simple or much more complex. For the sake of this passage right now, I'm letting you know. You understand the gospel when you understand, number one, Jesus died, was raised, and he's the Lord. When that happens in a soul, something takes place. Jesus In verse 25, it says, David says concerning Jesus, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. For he's at my right hand that I may not be shaken therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad my flesh will rest in hope for you will not leave my soul in Hades nor will you allow your holy one to see corruption you've made known to me the way of life you make be full of joy in your presence men of and brethren let me speak freely to you the patriarch David that he is both dead and buried in his tomb is with us to this day therefore being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath To him that of the fruit of his body, according to flesh, he would raise up the Christ, the Messiah, to sit on this throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. In other words, Peter is quoting the Psalms written by David, and Peter is saying when David wrote the Psalms, David was talking about Jesus. I need you to know that when Moses wrote about Mo- about Noah and the ark, Noah in the ark was about Jesus because Jesus is the greatest ark. That when you get in the ark called Jesus and you receive the forgiveness of the ark called Jesus, that when the storms of sin and death and destruction and judgment come, when those storms come, everyone else that has not gotten into the ark called Jesus is going to drown. But those that are in the ark of Jesus, they're going to be saved. Jesus is the ark. If you ever read the story of Abraham and isaac and and god said abraham i want you to offer up your son isaac up on this mountain and he goes up on a mountain and and he gets ready to offer him up and but then god says stop why because he he says the lord will provide for him he will provide himself the very offering and on that same mountain many years later god would never expect an actual parent to do that but god himself did that one for god so loved the world that he gave his only son abraham and isaac was about jesus When you're reading the story of Elijah with all the prophets of Baal, and all the prophets of Baal are cutting themselves, and and they're bleeding, and and none of this is working, and, and and they cried out, and yet when Elijah comes, he doesn't have to cut himself because false gods demand that blood be shed, but the true God doesn't demand that our blood be shed. The true God came down himself, and he shed his blood, and we find out the story of Elijah was pointing to Jesus, and Moses was in the wilderness, and he struck the rock, and water came out, and the rock, the Bible says, was Jesus, because when Jesus was struck on the cross, living water came out. The rock was about Jesus, and the Exodus was about Jesus, and the prophets were about Jesus, and all the good news was about Jesus, and the Proverbs are about Jesus, and the Psalms are about Jesus. Every single page of the Scripture is a sign if you've got eyes to see and ears to hear, the points, and says, look at Jesus. There's no one like him. Who is like the Lord? If you've read the story of the the seas parting and you're like, I wonder what that was about. If you've ever read the New Testament when there was two big miracles in the Old Testament for the Israelites. One was they got fed out in the wilderness and the other is they got led through the waters. And then you come to Jesus who goes and he feeds a multitude in the wilderness and then right after that gets on a a boat and the Bible says that he was planning to pass by them as the seas were going too much. It's as if Jesus is clearing out the same miracles that Moses did were pointing to the fact that there is a deliverer that you and I have. There is no storm that can hold you back there is no starvation that will kill you when Jesus is your King you've got everything you need he's letting you know that the whole Bible is about friends when your family centers around Jesus your family comes exactly like he says right here you will make me full of joy in your presence does your family need joy your family needs Jesus does your marriage need joy Your marriage needs Jesus. Does your job need joy? I promise you, your job could have the presence of Jesus if you want it to. And when you've got the presence of Jesus, you will have fullness of joy. Is your life lacking a meaning that you cannot figure out? Let me tell you where your meaning comes from. When Jesus is in your midst, your life comes alive. Who is like the Lord? Answer, nobody. So so the what of the Gospels, the first word is, guess what the first word is? Jesus. If you're gonna preach the gospel, you need to know that Jesus is the gospel. The second word though is verse 23. It says that you, you crucified him. He was he was killed. He was he was crucified. What does this mean that Jesus was crucified? Well we know that what it means is that he died, and, and scripture says that he died for our sins. Does anyone know what an LLC is? What's an LLC? Limited liability. Corporation. People create LLCs because, because of what? They don't want to get sued. If I do something wrong at my job, I do not want you to mess with me in my house. Maybe you can, maybe you can take the, the, the company van, but you can't take <laughs> my kid's house. An LLC provides a buffer of liability. So I was reading this week, a a guy that I loved a lot just died recently. He was an attorney that was also a a minister. And he was always just quoting these cases. And one case that that he told me about was, it's called the Von uh, Groningen case. It was about an employee that worked for a company, and this employee drove a tractor. And the employer, the company, said, whenever you're driving the tractor, no one can get on the tractor with you. Kind of a tragic story because one day he had his nephew with him. And he put a little toolbox on the back of the tractor, and the nephew was sitting there. And when they were doing something, they had an accident when they hit a a hole. And the nephew fell off and ended up not not dying, but lost the the use of legs and one of the arms. Really, really tragic kind of thing. Well, the the employee sued the company, von Groningen, the employer, under the doctrines of respondent, superior, or imputed negligence is what it's called. The employer, as you might guess, did everything in their power to reject the claim that they had any liability because they said, you knew what you were supposed to do. You know that you were in the wrong. You signed the paper saying we would never do this. And so the employer spent great amounts of money arguing the case. We have no liability whatsoever. We are not responsible, to which a lot of us would be like, hey, that kind of sounds like it makes sense. But when I read the story this week, I was thinking the exact opposite of how Jesus is, where the Bible says in Peter 2, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness and with his wounds were healed. In other words, on this earth, humans constantly say, not on me, not on me, that's not on me, don't put that on me, don't put that, on... don't put that on my body, don't put that, on... I've got an LLC, I won't... even if I do something wrong, I don't want you doing it to me personally, I did that as a business person, I didn't do that as an individual, you can sue Mike the businessman, you can't sue Mike the person, and so we do everything we can to resist liability, and yet the gospel is that when Jesus was crucified, he himself took all the liability on his body. Friends, you don't understand the gospel until you understand that the only innocent one in human history became the most guilty one in human history up on a tree, an execution stick. What is the what of the gospel? It's Jesus crucified. For 24, it says, but God raised him. Everybody say raised. Word number one is Jesus, two, was crucified, third, he's raised. What that means is he won. That means it works. That means the debt is paid. That means it is finished. That means everything he said that would happen in the taking way of liability is a done deal. That means the guilt has been consumed. The wrath has been absorbed. That everything that could have been against you has been canceled out. That all of the debt that was on your record has been wiped out. By Jesus being raised, it means... It means there's hope. It means there's nothing that's unchangeable. It means that it is never too late for you if you will turn to him. Jesus died and Jesus was raised. And in verse 36, it says of him, this Jesus who you crucified is the Lord. He, that means he is in charge. That means he gets leadership. That means we submit to him. That means we need more than a teacher. The religions of this world are loaded with teachers. Buddha was a great teacher, and Confucius was a great teacher. And and the religions have always been started by teachers and prophets that said, if you will do what I've told you to do, that you're going to find your way to nirvana or enlightenment or approval before God. But Jesus, although he is a teacher, is not fundamentally just a teacher. In Spanish we say, he es un salvador. He is a savior because you and me don't just need teaching of what we should do. Because little kids on the playground in the sandbox, they know what we should do and they don't do it. And then they go to middle school and they know what they should do and they don't do it. And then they go to UF and they know what they should do and they don't do it. And then they go work for Enron and they know what they should do and they don't do it. And then they turn 54 years old, and they know what they should do, and they don't do it. And then they turn 80. The problem with humans is not that we don't know what to do. I mean, if we just got, if we were just judged by what we know to do, we're all dead meat. Can someone say Amen? I don't just need a teacher. Lord, have mercy. You, you give me more people. I want more revelation. You want to know more of what you should do? I should. I mean, how about? We, we, I love Jesus' words. Do you? Jesus said, "Give to anyone who asks you." Are Are you doing that one? Some guy on the street comes. Hey, man, let me get some money, please. I, I'm just. I'm. I'm love. I would just love for some homeless guy to watch one of our sermons one day. Just be like, "Hey, Pastor Mike said, Jesus said, you got to give me whatever I ask for." <laughs> what do you do with that one? How about? Forget all the mysterious ones. How about this one? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. I'm not sure if I've ever done that for five straight minutes. All I'm trying to say is the gospel, The who of the gospel is the gospel is for people who get it. If you're still doing a what aboutism, yeah, 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 but 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 what about them? But what about them? But what about them? If you're still in what about, you do not know the gospel. The gospel is, what about me? I am, I am in need of a savior. I'm a drowning man that is glad that my God is like an inner tube. I'm a lost man that is glad that my God is like a map. I'm a, I'm a, a wandering sheep that is glad that my God is a good shepherd that knows how to come and find me. The what of the gospel is Jesus was crucified, he was raised, and he's the Lord. That means I submit my life to him. This is, I I just want to get clear. This is not a religion. The early church for the first 200 years in the Roman Empire, nobody considered Christianity a religion. They considered it the anti-religion. It was so different than all the religions that they had known that it was nothing like it because all the religions were teachers that exposed a system, philosophy, or deity that demanded of you something that would get your good to outweigh your bad, and if that happened, then you would be acceptable. This one was where there was a God who came down and died and bled for us with the idea that if you believe that with all of your heart, something changes on the inside. This was so different than, I just need you know, this historically. Christianity was so different than all of the other religions. They called it the anti-religion. In fact, Christians were called atheists because by normal religious thinking, they're like, you guys are nothing like, so how weird is it that now people consider Christians religious? Friends, we are not religionists, we are gospelists. I'm an (laughs) evangelist. The what of the gospel, it's not a religion. See, religion depends on my credentials and what I have done. The gospel depends on Jesus' credentials and what he has done. The religion says if I obey, God will love me. The gospel says because God loves me, now I can obey. Religion says there's good people and bad people. The gospel says there's only dead people in sin or live people in Jesus. Religion leaves me uncertain before my standing with God because it's based on my work The gospel leaves me certain on my standing before God based on Jesus' work. I have peace. Religion can restrain my heart and keep me from doing evil because I might get caught. The gospel changes my heart because he's done something inside of me that has set me free from the law and the rules and the regulations. I want some of you to get free. I keep on meeting Christians, that I'm like, You don't even know the gospel. I know you're a Christian religionist. I'm ready for you to get born all over again by the gospel's power. I'm serious. I know so many Christians that do not know Jesus. I was listening to Harry Ironside's story that Late Pastor Moody Church, he, he once took with him a, a young Native American Christian. He was on a train coming from Oakland to Chicago, and the young man was taken one Sunday, to, one Sunday night to a home where there was a group of other young believers that were gathered for a Bible study. And the topic that night was the relationship between the law and, and religion and, and the gospel and grace and they didn't seem to be able to agree on how you could fit these two together. What about all of God's rules, and what about the gospel of Jesus? And finally, the young Native American who hadn't been a Christian but for a few months, he spoke up and he said, I've been listening to all of you talk about religion and the gospel and law and grace and all of these things, and the longer I listened, the more I realized you don't know what grace is. Let me tell you what I think. I just thought it was beautiful. When Mr. Ironside asked me to go to Oakland with him, we, we get on a big train down in the reservation. I'd never been on a train before, and we ride and we ride and we ride all day long. We finally came to, to Barstow out in the desert. And very, I was very tired, so I got off the train. I walked the platform to stretch my legs. And while I was walking on the platform, I see a sign that says, Do not spit here. I look at the sign. I think, what a strange sign that the white man puts up. Do not spit here. While I look at sign, before I know what happens... Guess what I do? I spit. I think to myself, how strange that the sign says, do not spit here. But many people went over there and they would spit. And I spat. We got on the train and again, we came along to to Oakland and some friends we meet at a train. They take us to a beautiful home and I've never been to such a home. Mr. Ironside takes me inside and shows me a soft chair and excuses himself for a little while and I'm left alone in the room and I look around and everything is so nice, soft and thick. There's a beautiful rug on the floor, beautiful walls painted, lovely color, pictures hanging on the wall. Everything is so nice. I walk around the room and I think to myself about something and I look at myself and too bad all this lovely room is gonna be ruined by all the people spitting on the floor like people must do. Then I look around on the floor and I see nobody's been spitting there. And then it comes to me When the law says, do not spit here, it makes me want to spit, and I spit, and many people spit. But when I come to the gospel and grace, I see everything lovely and nice, and I don't want to spit. And I don't need a rule to tell me, do not spit, because I've been changed by the beauty. See, the gospel does something in a heart. I could give you a rule to say, hey, guys, stop gossiping. Stop looking down on people. Stop putting people down of other ideological persuasions online. I could do all of that. But if you're still looking down on a whatever person, it's evidence that you've missed the gospel, which is I stand before God not because of my work but because of his. And anytime you get up and you can look down on another group of people, or another race of people, or another gender of people, or another whatever, nationality of people, you are proving that it's like Paul in Galatians. Who has bewitched you to depart from the gospel that you came by? Because when the gospel comes in, it shows you a beauty that when you look at someone, the image of God is in them. Even if they're totally missing in certain areas, you understand the only way they'll ever get it is if he writes his law on their hearts. You do not change people by giving them enough regulations to with to restrain their evil hearts you change the world and the awakening happens when the evil hearts get awakened because the gospel has done something to them Oh, church, I believe in laws, and I believe in justice, and I believe in all of these things. What I'm telling you is we need an awakening right now where there is an understanding of a gospel that is Jesus died, was raised, and he's the Lord. And when someone confesses, Jesus, you died, you rose, and you are Lord, it changes us on the inside. And you start looking at people that used to be your... When the Bible says, love your enemies, of course we love our enemies. We see in our enemies our brothers and sisters. Sisters. Forgive those that have wronged you. Of course, we forgive those that have wronged us. I've been infinitely more guilty before the Lord of anyone has ever been to me. For me to not forgive someone of 50 sins when I'm guilty, guilty of 50 million. What a, what a what amnesia to the gospel is bitterness and unforgiveness. So, so the, the who is everybody. It's, it's you and me if we're humble enough. The, the what is Jesus died, raised, he's Lord. And, and so what's the how? The how is verse 38. They said, what should we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. The, the way to respond to the gospel is like this. Here's the application of the message today. If you belong to Jesus, your lips were created and your tongue was constructed if if you do sign language, your hands and fingers and digits were made to proclaim Jesus died was raised, and he's Lord. And I don't care if you don't have catchy, cool words to say. You can walk up to the waitress after church today and say, I come in the name of Jesus who died for our sins, and he was raised, and he's the Lord. Trust in him. And maybe that's not the coolest or the most clever. What I'm telling you is, it has been 15 years since another human's walked up to me on the streets and ever brought up Jesus, and I've heard everything else brought up. I want to commission us afresh that if you belong to Jesus, we're not selling back cleaners to people that don't need one. We are bringing Jesus to a world that is starving for him and they do not know it. If you belong to Jesus, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Not just on Sunday. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't just want to bring this gospel when I'm preaching to you guys on a safe stage. I want to, I want to do it at gas stations and the gym and because it's good news. And you talk about good news. Mike Lane had a baby. He's telling everybody about his baby. It's, it's good news. Someone just gets married, they're not going to, "Oh, I don't want to offend all the single people." No, you tell you girl, look at me!" <laughs> Friends, the world is a little confused. If we've got such great news, why aren't we talking about it? I just want to remind you, it's great news, man. It's great news. But if you have not responded to the gospel yet, well, well, let me say it like this. I was reading reading a, a book by some missionaries, and they're in the Middle East. And there was this illiterate man that was fishing on a river. Muslim man, fishing on a river, cannot read, never met a Christian, never read a Bible. And a figure in a white robe appears to him walking on the water, and he's startled by this, and he's like, well, you know, he's very, very concerned and scared. He says, you know, who, who are you? He says, I'm Isa, Al-Misa. I'm, I'm Jesus, the Messiah. They have a life-altering conversation, and Jesus says to him, you must follow me. He fades the man goes and parks his boat, gets out, doesn't know what else to do. He's got a prayer rug. He takes out his prayer rug. He stretches it out. He gets an earthenware pot, and he takes water and pours it over the back of his head. And as much as he knows how, he tries to start following Esau, Misa, Jesus, the Messiah. He finally meets some Christians, and he tells them, and they're like, oh, we want you to meet, you know, you got to come meet this guy. It was, an, it was the guy that was, I was hearing the story from that, that had been a convert, you know, he had, he had been one way and he fought, started following Jesus and he tells him a story. He says, listen, I believe you. I believe you and I rejoice. He says, the only thing is, we, we, we don't baptize ourselves. That's not how it works. Part of it is the submission. It's Jesus died and was raised and we make him the Lord. And part of how we make him Lord is we submit, we surrender, we get baptized, you know. You, you need to get baptized in the name of Jesus and we will baptize you. And, and so he did. He fully repented and got baptized and... <laughs> And he comes up and they just started celebrating and, and this guy has become this amazing evangelist in the, in the Arab world. He started reading the Bible and when he got to the story where Jesus was walking on the water brought tears to his eyes when he realized that's what he did for me. My sister Anne is a missionary in Germany and she was telling me the story of a friend of hers named Maria. Maria is the wife of a man that was a bodyguard for Saddam Hussein. She was just kind of living her best life as a bodyguard of Saddam Hussein was living a pretty good life until the regime got overthrown. She said, I was living my best life, but my name is Maria because when I was in my mother's womb, an angel appeared to my mother in a dream and said, your daughter is to follow Jesus and to become a Christian. So the only Christian name she knew was Maria, so she names her Maria. So they, they depose, of course, the government of, of Saddam Hussein and which was bad news if you're a bodyguard for Saddam Hussein, they had to flee the country. So they leave the Middle East and they have to walk on foot. They end up in Germany where my sister is. They're walking by one day and there was a, a like, kind of like a microchurch sort of thing that was going through the teachings of Jesus and what it means to follow him. And her husband, Maria's husband, heard this, walks in and says, listen, my wife needs, we need to learn, we need to know how do we become Christians and follow Jesus. Because my wife has been told by God she must follow Jesus. And so they start going to this course where they hear about Jesus died, he rose, and he's the Lord. Jesus died, he rose, he's the Lord. But you must respond because the gospel will not change you until you respond to the gospel. You must respond. And when Ann was telling me the story, she says, Michael, I'm watching because we were having a baptism service. And for the first time in her life, her head was uncovered. And she gets baptized and comes up and the tears are coming down and... She's surrendering. And I just want to say it real quick. If you've never been baptized in water, it's time to obey the Lord, church. If you're watching online and you've not been baptized, submit to the Lord. I mean, the, our brothers and sisters in other country at the threat of death are, are surrendering to because they know it's the gospel is Jesus died and rose. And he's the Lord. We've got to do what he says. And what he says is repent and be baptized. That's what it means to believe in the Lord. And she comes up out of the water first time in her, Precious face is there, and she goes off another room, and she comes out, and she's wearing this beautiful dress. And man, I just, man, it just broke my heart. Anne said, Michael, when I saw her, her she's wearing, this, it looked like a wedding dress. And I asked her, where did you get that wedding dress? She said, 10 years ago, I knew that there was gonna come a day when I would follow Jesus if I just knew how to do it. And I began making this dress with my own hands. And when our government got overthrown and we had to flee, I could only take a few things with me, but I carried this dress with me across the Middle East, across Europe, into Germany because I knew that there would come a day when I would be making my proclamation. Jesus died and he rose and he's the Lord and he's mine.